Welcome to Wake Up with Nubian Tigers Talk. Nubian Tigers are a group of people who met at Princeton University and have continued to be friends throughout the decades. The COVID-19 pandemic and the civil demonstrations following the murders of Breonna Taylor and George Floyd by the police motivated us to harness our life experiences and professional expertise and contribute our voices to the broader discussion of the conditions of life throughout Black America. My name is Michelle Jacobs and I'm with my co-host Ray Smaltz. Before we get to today's guest, I'll turn it over to Ray. Thanks, Michelle. And for those of you listening for the very first time, the acronym W-A-K-E or WAKE stands for Wisdom, Advice, Knowledge, and Engagement. And the UP is the abbreviation for our alma mater, Princeton University, but only backwards. When the late civil rights icon and longtime Congressman John Lewis was only 23 years old, he delivered an inspiring speech at the historic march on Washington in 1963 and punctuated the end of it with, wake up America, wake up, for we cannot stop and we will not and cannot be patient. This podcast aspires to wake up our listeners to some of the very same struggles within America today and across the globe. And Michelle, we've just completed a historic election, one in which as we record this program, almost 155 million citizens have casted their vote. This surprising total of 65% of the electorate voting during a presidential election is the highest voter turnout rate since 1900. Together, the ticket of Biden and Harris have garnered over 80 million votes, with 90% of African Americans supporting the Democratic candidates, and Black voters were the main reason why the state of Georgia turned blue for the first time in a presidential election since Bill Clinton's first term in 1992. So today, Ray, we have a special show for our listeners. We're going to speak to the original Nubian Tigress and get their opinions about the election, the election that just passed, and to see what their reactions, fears, and hopes were, and whether any of those have been met. Well, don't forget, it should be Nubian Tigresses plus one tiger. Yes, but you, you, you know, you're honorary. <laughs> Actually, plus two. Yes, we have two honoraries, but that's okay. <laughs> so today with us, uh, we have Debbie Jordan, who's class of 75. Debbie hasn't joined us before, so we're welcoming her to the show. We have Anne Herring, also class of 75. Um, Anne is coming to us for the first time today, too, and we welcome her to the show. We have Marcia Gonzalez Kimbrough, first time to the show, class of 75. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, and of course, we have our um, previous contributor, Teresa Brown, who spoke to us in the election series, and we hope to have Teresa back later after all the dust has settled <laughs> and we can do a final analysis of the election results. Welcome, so, ladies. Welcome, everyone. Um, we're, our first question for you today is, you know, the election run-up was so tense. Uh, there were so many issues floating around and the, the, uh, the things on the line were so terribly important. So we're just trying to get your reaction to what were your thoughts or fears or hopes leading up to the election? What kinds of things were you concerned about uh, and what were you worried about as we headed towards uh, that election day? So Debbie, let's uh, have you open it up. Well, thank you for having me. 
Uh, in terms of the runoff to the election, I was most concerned about, um, as always, voter suppression, particularly as it related to black and brown people. Um, but this year in particular, I was very afraid that there would be violence inflicted by right-wingers at the polls and that that would either deter people from voting or that people would be hurt, you know, in the process of trying to vote. Um, for the most part, I don't think that, that there was violence at the polls. So um, that was a good outcome. Um, the rest of the outcome wasn't that good as far as I was concerned though. All right, Anne, so since you've just joining us, um, we'd love to hear your views on uh, what you were thinking before the election started. Uh, like Debbie said, thank you for having me. This is exciting being here for the first time. Um, my initial thought was, my God, Trump might potentially win. You know, that scared the living daylights out of me because I just couldn't imagine what four more years of this man would be like. Um, I was uh, just waiting with bated breath to see the election results. Another thought that occurred to me was if Joe Biden does win, are people going to expect things to change, the, the culture in this country to change overnight? Um, you know, his thing was, let's unify, let's bring everybody together. With more than 70 million people voting for Donald Trump, I think that that expectation would be unrealistic because he, I, I'm not sure I want to unify with people that have such abhorrent beliefs, quite frankly. So you might want to edit that out. But anyway, <laughs> that's pretty much where I was. Okay. All right. How about you, Marcia? Well, fears coming in um, were on the home front to begin with, on the family front. Um, I am Latina. My husband is an African-American male, um, registered independent, but Trump, Trump supporter. Um, I have a 26-year-old daughter who lives with us, and she's very much uh, of a progressive. Uh, I was worried and have been worried for you know, maybe two, three years since my husband sort of changed and, and, and became a Trump supporter, actually four years, was really just concerned about whether the outcome of the election was going to cause any more distancing um, between the, the three of us and part of his family who is also Trump supporters. I worried about whether people will um, be able to get over family differences of political views and keep families together um, and, and see sort of a, a, a greater connection that keeps us all together. Um, going in, uh, after the election, I, I, don't, I don't know that my fears have been allayed in any way, but the fears that people would be reacting super um, emotionally distancing hasn't happened. And maybe that's because, you know, the other, side, the other side is still in, in the delusion that um, Trump is going to win. But I, I worried about whether this interfamily dynamic is broader 
than what we all are willing to admit to. Um, and um, it, it, it seems to be existent throughout the whole country, even within the ethnic groups, you know, as, as you all have, have read and, and, and heard about just trying to analyze, you know, what happened to the black vote, what happened to the, with, with the Latino vote, not so much with the Asian vote, but, but more the African-American and the Latino vote. Um, and, you know, how many of especially black men voted for Trump unexpectedly. Um, so, so I think there's, there, there was a fear coming in that there was, um, confusion and um, a, a desire to understand and maybe not really yet being able to understand what were, the, what were all those dynamics about. Yeah, that's an interesting point because not only did Trump's presidency cause uh, a huge division within the country on the race front, black versus white, but also I think your comments go to the fact that it, it severely impacted even families uh, internally. And so um, it's just been corrosive all, all the way around. Um, Teresa, how about you? You know, you, you uh, are one of our election specialists. So what were you thinking before the election actually happened? I have a quick question, Michelle. Now, did, is she still a Republican or an independent when she Oh, voted. oh, I don't know. Let Teresa speak. <laughs> we we don't we don't uh, have any barriers here in the Tigris group. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, maybe join. my personal page so we can talk about it off air if you want. Uh, my fear was that Trump was going to win. That was my fear. Um, and in New Jersey, since everyone voted. Um, there were no voting machines, um, that people would screw up the paper ballots, um, which would then, of course, decrease the number of, of votes uh, because the, the paper ballots had to be filled out specifically as stated. Um, but my greatest fear was that, that Trump was gonna win. Um, and I just can't understand how he won the first time um, and what people are thinking to vote for him a second time. Mm -hmm. And yes, I'm still registered. I'll be registered probably for another eh, couple of months. <laughs> so I have a question um, to ask everyone, and that is, uh, how did you vote? In other words, did you vote by mail? Did you vote in person? And what were the, the, the reasons why you voted the way you voted? Obviously, uh, you know, Trump was going around for months telling all of the Republican supporters that he had vote in person because the Democrats are going to vote by mail. And we want that, you know, uh, because he thought he was going to be able to use that to be able to say that night, oh, yeah, I'm the winner. But uh, so many people voted early and so many people voted by mail that uh, that was one of the reasons why it took so long for us to, to get a final uh, verdict in the election. So how did each one of you, you folks vote and what was your motivation for it? Uh, let's start back with, with Debbie. I voted by mail and um, the personal reasons for that included the fact that uh, I'm currently going through chemo and so my immune system is suppressed. So I, I didn't see myself actually going to a polling place either early or on election day. But also, um, there was a, a push um, with the Democratic Party in Florida to have people vote by mail. And so I was very active 
um, doing texting, which was our, our mode of communication with voters, encouraging people to vote by mail, to request mail-in ballots, and then once they got them, to, to submit them in a timely manner. Although Trump had was out there, you know, giving um, false testimony as to the the problems with with mail-in ballots. The Democrats, at least in Florida, uh, really preferred that that our voters do that because of the uncertainty of of what might happen, you know, at the polling places or you know, anything could happen. And, and this vote was so crucial that we wanted to make sure that people locked in their votes early, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and one with a quick question, Debbie, did you also hear about a lot of senior citizens, uh, you know, who comprise a lot of the, uh, the uh, citizens in Florida, were they also voting by mail and voting early? Oh yeah, oh yeah. And in fact, um, I forgot, uh, they compiled statistics post-election, and I think that the, the statistics were very high for seniors voting by mail. I think it was um, 70 to 80% of seniors in Florida, mm-hmm. in, in Palm Beach County, I should say, voted by mail. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how did you vote? What was your motivation? I voted early, Ray. Um... And the reason I did that was because I've had such horrible experiences with the United States Postal Service that I just didn't trust the vote by me. And I've always voted in person. So um, like Debbie said, there's a big push by the Florida Democrats to vote by mail. And I understand and appreciate that. But I just wanted to make sure my vote counted. Normally I would have gone on election day, but with COVID and everything else being so crazy, I said, I might die before, you know, mm-hmm. that I can get, wait until uh, November, what was it, November 3rd? Yep. Yeah, November 3rd. Yep. So I said, I'm voting early. And I went to our supervisor of elections office. That's where they have the early voting mm-hmm. in my county. It's just one area, one one place, because it's such a small uh, rural county. Mm-hmm. And um, I, that's what I did. You know, Michelle, we forgot to add the piece about uh, the Postal Service being slowed down yes. by the government. Add that as another uh, inf- influencer in terms right. of how people voted. Marcia, how did you vote? Um, well, I'm, I'm in California, and you you all may, may or may not know that everyone was sent a mail-in ballot, regardless of whether they requested it or not. Um, and along with the mail-in ballot were also all the if you want to call them precincts, the, the polling places uh, were listed uh, that were within your geographic area. But in California, you could, um, by county, you could vote in any polling place within your county. You didn't have to vote in your local local um, uh, geographic area. And for the first time, well, you know, because schools are closed in Los Angeles County, um, um, schools gymnasiums often were the polling places, but this time there were polling places that were uh, park uh, recreation facilities and, and curiously enough, private locations. And in, in our neighborhood social media, someone commented that they had gone to vote at a office building and it was in person, early voting. And it was an absolute breeze. They said in and out in less than 15 minutes, lots of precautions, um, COVID um, safety precautions, um, lots of staff, friendly people. 
and it was a breeze. So my, my 26 year old daughter and I, and I was so proud of her because she was really engaged. I mean, she, in California, we had, I think 22, uh, 22 ballot measures plus mm -hmm. referendum ballot measures, plus I think two local countywide. Mm -hmm. And she actually did research on it. She found a website that was, that analyzed the ballot measures for um, 35 year olds and under for 18 year old to 25 year olds with a, how does this affect you in your age range? Which was absolutely, so when she and I went through our ballot the night before to, to kind of discuss and, and you know do our sample ballot so we could come in and, and, and vote easily. Um, I, I learned from, what her website showed. Um, I learned more about the ballot measures than what I had already done research. So we both went. It turned out it's a huge architectural design firm, a design firm, one of those big, huge warehouses, open space. Curiously, in a very, it, it's, a, it's a very white architectural firm in a very black neighborhood right next to railroad tracks. Um, <laughs> and is one of the design firms that's doing a lot of the commercial development, mixed use development that is of controversy close to us on whether the neighborhood is being gentrified or not. Um, so, so there were interesting things going on just about the location, but um, it, it, it was an absolute breeze, incredibly high tech experience, which I think really it needs to be highlight could, could be a, a tool to highlight to get millennials and younger folks out because it's not, it wasn't the you know fill in the box with or fill in the, the the what is it called the little ovals it was completely electronic incredibly well staffed free masks free gloves um, rubber um, you know vinyl gloves if you wanted um, it, it was literally in and out in less than fifteen minutes no virtually no waiting line. So the experience was, was very ple pleasurable. It was also great to see young folks staffing the polling place for the first time ever, because whenever else I voted, it all tended to be median age, like 65 year olds staffing the polling place. But this time it looked like there were a lot more, I'd say a majority of them were under, certainly under 40. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. that was encouraging. Mm -hmm. Teresa, how was the uh, infrastructure down in New Jersey? <laughs> Well, like uh, California, uh, ballots were mailed to everyone, whether you requested one or not. Um, my understanding is that there were no polling places with machines, that if you went to a polling place, you had to uh, complete a provisional ballot. Uh, they, but they also collected the ma mail-in ballots at those facilities as well. I did, well, Obviously, because of COVID, I didn't want to hang around a um, polling place, but um, I filled out my paper ballot. I mailed it, what, two weeks before? Done. Easy. No problem. Um, it was, I knew what I was going to do. I knew there was no question in my mind who I was going to vote for. There was no sense in hanging on to the ballot. Fill it out and get it in. Uh, we had each municipality, at least in my county, had a box that looked like a, it looked like a, a mailbox, but it specifically said it was for the Board of Elections. So right in front of our municipal building was a box where people were placing their ballots. So it was, for me, it was, I thought it was easy. It's, uh, 
my county has very, uh, I, I should say, up-to-date voting machines. Um, I bought, in fact, I was on the board when my county, when our board of freeholders or county commissioners bought the machines. Uh, so it's very easy, but because of COVID and our numbers were very high in New Jersey uh, back in the- uh, Back in April and May. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the governor just said, everybody's getting a paper ballot. I think it worked. I mean, apparently it worked very well. Uh, we seem to have final numbers by the end of the, well, not final, but we, we knew who was winning in New Jersey by the end of the, the mm -hmm. night. So. So um, Katrina's uh, internet has um, jumped back on. So before we lose her again, <laughs> let me uh, um, welcome Katrina Peters back to the show. Our listeners may know her from our um, COVID series. With Katrina, uh, one of the episodes was devoted to Katrina's explanation of how hospitals were dealing with uh, the COVID pandemic in California. So Katrina, while you were uh, dropping in and out, <laughs> we asked the other tigresses, um, what were they fearing before the election uh, actually happened? And then how did you vote by mail in person? And what led to that decision? First, um, <clears throat> thank you for inviting me. And I'm glad I got my Wi-Fi back. In fact, I, I have my little uh, extra Wi-Fi. I'm not messing with my own. <laughs> so we should be OK. What I was most concerned about before the election was various amounts of voter suppression. Although I'm in Northern California in the Bay Area, which is an area that um, pretty widely was supporting for Biden-Harris um, because of many other things that could happen. Um, I was still very concerned about the safety of my ballot. So as, um, uh, Marcia in Southern California has stated, all, everyone in California got a mail-in ballot. I always get a mail-in ballot. Um, this time though, I was a little reluctant to put in the mail because there's been so much issues around the mail being delivered uh, timely and appropriately. So I waited until we got early voting, which for California was the weekend before voting. And they had where you could drop it off at a site, but I had spilled some water and I was so concerned about the integrity of my ballot. I went in to the place that was very close to me. There was three different types of ways you could vote inside. I had to turn in my ballot because um, if you didn't have your mail-in ballot to turn in to vote, in person, then you would only get a provisional ballot. So I turned it in, they destroyed it. I had a choice of three different types of machines. I have never voted on the same machine, not once in um, Alameda County. I cannot say why, but the machine I voted on, it was electronic, but it produced a paper record of your vote. And the paper record was deposited in some sealed other type of uh, container in and out 15 minutes. It was actually one of my, the easier voting experiences that I have had. Um, I am jealous of y'all, totally jealous. <laughs> so that was my concern beforehand. My concerns after the vote um, and also many of the businesses were also concerned is what was gonna be the result 
And so in fact, things, actually things have been boarded up since we've been protesting since George Floyd. Many of the things have not even been completely unboarded, but they started boarding up businesses just in case. Um, I was concerned about voter suppression in other uh, parts of the country. I knew that California probably had enough votes no matter what, even though we had voter suppression things in parts of Southern California, there were some Republicans who were putting out fake ballot uh, collection boxes. Um, and there was a lot of brouhaha about that. Um, and even though, again, it wasn't enough to switch the California vote, it could make some differences in areas like, you know, who was gonna get voted for in Congress, who was mm -hmm. else on the down ballot, there were a lot of other different things that even though it's quite clear we had enough for the national, what was gonna happen with the rest of it. And in fact, um, we did lose some um, congressional seats um, in some of the areas. So, so um, Ray, you know, we're usually uh, not talking that much because we want our guests to jump in, mm -hmm. but you're an honorary tigress. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> why don't you tell us, um, what your thoughts were before the election, and you seem to indicate that uh, Katrina's experience in voting was not quite the same as yours. So why no, don't it you, wasn't. Why don't you share that? <laughs> well, my wife and I, you know, we were certainly uh, Biden-Harris backers, uh, so we knew how we were going to vote. And uh, I guess uh, back in the summer or maybe September, we got a mail-in ballot, or we filed, uh, we, we sent out a uh, a notice, I think uh, the state had sent out something about whether you wanted to have a mail-in ballot or not. So we both sent that in because of COVID, okay? New York state is for the most part, you know, I don't think people really understand that the state is probably more moderate than it is progressive. It's only downstate New York that is very progressive, you know, then around the New York city area, Westchester, so on and so forth. But the rest of the state is very rural and very conservative. So um, we never got the ballots back. We never got our mail-in ballot. So we were forced to go, even though we didn't want to, we were forced to go to our local polling place. Okay, I mean, that, that wasn't a big deal. Two hours later, it was, a, <laughs> it was a pretty big deal. I mean, we had to wait so long that I actually got in the car. Terry was talking with somebody online and I, I said, oh, well, I can probably leave her with her, this woman here, because she's enjoying herself. I ran a bunch of errands. I mean, I, I was in the car for 45 minutes, came back, my wife was still waiting online. So it was a total of two hours for us before we actually were able to cast our ballot. Now, everybody was determined to cast their ballot. No, It, it didn't matter how long, but in listening to Marcia and Katrina and they, you know, it only took 15 minutes. That's why I said I'm supremely jealous. Uh, and it just should not be this way. It should not take people two hours to vote. Uh, right. That's, I mean, it's just crazy that America has this, this issue mm -hmm. in, two, in 2020. And that's shorter than the 10 hours of people in Georgia. That is, <laughs> and other that places is correct. That, that is totally correct. Yeah, I'm fortunate that um, I live, of course, as I have mentioned before, in Washington, D.C., uh, which even though we're not Chocolate City anymore, we're still Cafe Olay. And uh, it's clearly a Democratic stronghold. There's no question about who was going to uh, prevail in the area. Although, um, you know, we're uh, 
we can sometimes be ground zero for political action. And so uh, you never know what's going to happen in DC. But I, I was determined to actually vote in person. And I did do that um, during the early voting stage. It took me longer to walk to my polling station, which is about 20 minutes by foot, than it took me to vote, <laughs> which took all of 15 minutes. Fantastic. Uh, it was very highly organized, uh, all the COVID procedures well in place, as you would expect in DC, because you know our population is significantly African-American and Latino. Uh, the two populations that were hard hit in the Northeast by uh, the COVID pandemic. And so um, our election officials and our, uh, our mayor was not taking any chances that people would get sick trying to exercise their right to vote. So we had a very smooth election process. Uh, for, for me, I'm always worried about um, the, the possibility of the Trump uh, doing a second term. I thought that was a very real possibility um, I am convinced that white Americans are in the throes of a crisis of identity. Um, and they're trying, the, the Trump supporters represent the struggle white America is having on trying to figure out what place they will have mm. in the world. Uh, will they go forward in a uh, society that is truly multicultural? We're even power shifts, or will they try to prevent that from happening uh, by whatever means they can take to do it and go back to an era, uh, which, you know, if you look at the Make America Great slogan, that's about taking America back to the 1940s when Jim Crow was alive and flourishing. So that, that's, a, that's a concern for me. And I don't think that there's enough white people who don't want to be in the 1940s that we could have been comfortably assured that Trump wouldn't in fact get a second term. And as you could see from the results, mm -hmm. it was close. Well, Michelle, this will conclude the first part of our post-election discussion on Wake Up with Nubian Tigers Talk, featuring our Nubian Tigresses, Debbie Jordan and Herring, Marcia Gonzalez-Kimbrough, Teresa Brown, and Dr. Katrina Peters. We urge all you listeners to watch for our next episode as we continue our recap of the 2020 presidential election. If you enjoyed what you heard today, visit our website, NubianTigersPodcast.com. In addition to the podcast, we also post a resource page for each subject to provide additional sources of information. Follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at Nubian Tigers, written as one word. We are on YouTube on the Nubian Tigers podcast channel. And do you have a favorite podcast service? Well, we're probably on it. You can subscribe to our podcast on Anchor FM, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, Stitcher, and Breaker. Just look for Nubian Tigers Talk. Looking forward to sharing some knowledge with you next time. Wake up, wake up, wake up.